Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 35. It looks like we are going to wrap up more or less this evening our treatment of Jacob, but not before we engage in another important lesson, and I dare say lessons that come to us from this great narrative, from this great patriarch. This evening will also afford us the opportunity to take up that topical theme of the significance of the 12 tribes of Israel, as in chapter 35, we get not only the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel, as well as the death of Isaac, uh, which we hopefully will get to, but also in the birth of Benjamin, our first list, if you will, of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we'll have the opportunity to talk about the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, with that, let us jump right in. We are in chapter 35, verse 16. So I will go ahead and read chapter 35, verses 16 to 29. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when she was in her hard labor, the midwife said to her, Fear not, for now you will have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she died, she called his name Benoni, but his father called his name Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel dwelt in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paran Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Araba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were a hundred and eighty years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Okay, so what I want to do is go through these verses as we have been doing now for a number of months, touch upon some of the the key points within the verses, and then as we do, just kind of take up some of the more topical themes that one might draw out from a careful uh, divine reading of the text. So verses 16 to 17, then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor, right? Because there's something called easy labor. (laughs) What's going on there? 
I mean, verse 17 reads, And when she was in her hard labor, the midwife said to her, Fear not, for now you have another son. So the Hebrew text here speaks to hard, not in some spiritual sense, yeah, to some degree, as you might apply what we, what we go through physically to the spiritual life. But the Hebrew here for hard labor does speak to the, the physical element of giving birth. So uh, she was going through maybe a more difficult labor than others. I know for all of you women out there, you're thinking to yourself, well, isn't all labor hard? As my wife might testify to it, some labors are more difficult than others. All are hard, but some are more difficult than others. And I think here what you have going on is a, a woman of great age going through labor that is maybe more difficult than previous labors. Something else here. As Rachel dies, she delivers her second child to Jacob, huh? And as she delivers her second child to Jacob, her prayer then to give birth before she dies is granted to her. Let us not forget that some chapters ago, Rachel was praying to give birth to another child to Jacob, so she has a prayer request answered. So again, we read through these verses and we might think to ourselves, you know, not, not much going on here. But see this as an answer to a prayer. In verse 17, we read, Fear not, for now you will have another son. Why the words, fear not? She is having her prayer answered. I mean, how many times in a given day do we pray for one another? And how many times do we complain to God that He is not hearing our prayer? That He is not answering our prayer? Well, remember what I said about that. There are three answers to every prayer. Yes, no, and not yet. If he hasn't answered your prayer, it might have something to do with what you're praying for or that he just hasn't answered it yet. The greatest prayer is what? But thy will be done. Are we to go to God in prayer? Of course we are. Are we to ask God for things? Of course we should. But all within God's divine plan. We don't ask for things that we don't need. So maybe we have to think about what we're asking from God. And if it is a noble and good thing, God knows in his infinite understanding of what is best for you and I, when to answer your prayer and how to answer that prayer. Well, years later, Rachel gets her prayer answered. And why we hear those words, fear not, for now you will have another son. Fear not, for now you will have another son. Now, what is the business of Rachel naming her son Benoni only to have Jacob rename their son Benjamin? Why the name change? Well, Benoni means son of my sorrow, and Benjamin means son of my right hand. It appears that Jacob is rightly sensing here the special place God has for this child. In antiquity, the right side was associated with greater strength, greater honor. Therefore, Jacob has the idea of son of my strength or son of my honor. Uh, why the right side, you may ask? Well, because this was covenant language, right? God himself raises his right hand, binding himself to man. What do we read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6? Your right hand, O Lord has become glorious in power. Your right hand, Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. 
We read in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. In Psalm 63, we read, My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm chapter 138, verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will receive me, you will revive me, you will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. So the significance of son of my strength, son of my honor, son of my right hand is very important to Jacob. We can fast forward our discussion to the New Testament. (laughs) What about Jesus? Where does he sit? But at the right hand of the Father, right? The position of honor. What do we read in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1? If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We might add into our reflection the significance of what Benjamin can also mean, because it can also translate as son of the south. So just not son of the right hand, but also son of the south. And as many commentaries highlight, this is significant uh, probably for two reasons. The other 11 sons were, were born where? What did we just read? But Padan Aram, right? Padan Aram. Uh, Padan Aram was in the northeast of Palestine. Whereas Benjamin alone was born after Jacob in the south, south in Canaan. Uh, what else here? Well, you've heard me talk about the breakup of the 12 tribes and the feud between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. When the 10 tribes went up north to worship on Mount Gerizim and enter into the practice of false worship, what two tribes stayed south? But Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of the south. Right. So as I've talked about the significance of names before, revealing something to the kind of foreordained purpose and vocation, of a particular person, well, here you have it in spades with Benjamin, where he literally stays in the South, (laughs) right, as the son of the South, just not born in the South, but he remains in the South. Now, let us turn to verses 19 to 20. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Now, Rachel's traditional resting place is still revered today, right? Recall that in the Gospel of Matthew, we read of Rachel weeping over the slaughtered infants of Bethlehem. So isn't that interesting? (laughs) The woman who names her child son of my sorrow now weeps over the innocent sons of man. I think we are made to see that very thing as we reflect into the text in its spiritual sense, if you will. That is that text that comes to us from Matthew chapter 2. All right, what about Genesis chapter 35, verses 21 to 22? Uh, This almost seems out of place. Here we are talking about the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel. And then all of a sudden, in verses... 21 and 22, we read, Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder, 
while Israel dwelt in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. What does Reuben do here? He takes an aggressive move to ensure his firstborn authority over uh, Jacob's other children. What is ironic about this is ultimately this sinful bid for power will deprive Reuben of the blessing and inheritance he was entitled to by virtue of his place in the birth order. This angers Jacob. This offends Jacob. And ultimately, after we go through Esau's descendants in chapter 36, we will get to Joseph in chapter 37. The reason why we get to Joseph in in chapter 37 is because he was the chosen firstborn son. Joseph is the one to receive ultimately the firstborn blessing and inheritance. So significant there as we begin to explore in future weeks, chapters 36 and 37, all the way through 50, because once we start talking about the firstborn blessing as it comes from Jacob, there we begin to get into the story of Joseph. All right, what about these 12 tribes? Now, the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. So alongside of Benjamin... Now, we have, as I noted off the top, the 12 tribes of Israel all identified. Now, from what we have seen in the last few chapters, this was not a collection of spiritually extraordinary uh, men, right? This was actually a severely dysfunctional family. I mean, could we not say that? And if you have been listening to what we have been talking about over the past three, four months, at the very least, you can come to the conclusion that the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob and Israel, were dysfunctional. But God will use this family, not because they were great spiritual men. No, rather because he chose them by his grace alone. What have we said about God's call? God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the call. Does this not remind us of the 12 apostles? If you ever thought to yourself that the 12 apostles were an interesting group of men, God was only reminding us that just as the 12 tribes of Israel were a motley crew of tribes, so were the apostles really a motley crew of men. Here in the past, I've shared a letter, a letter that I think more or less gets at the heart of what we're talking about here. And I would like to share this again. It has been quite some time since I've read this letter. This is kind of a fun way of looking at it. This is a letter posted to Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop, Nazareth, from the Jordan Management Consultant Team. The letter reads as follows. Dear Sir, Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked up for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests 
And we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you'll want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is of the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capacity. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and gives in to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine team morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Better Business Bureau and that James, the son of Altheus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of your candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend to you Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you, in your new adventure, every success. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Okay, there you have it. If you didn't have a, a sense of what I was talking about before, hopefully now you do. That again, God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the call. And he takes the person who might be least expected to do great things for him. You know, it is so easy for us to look at someone who has many gifts and talents and say to ourselves, boy, you would make a, a great pastor or a great priest, a great minister. And to some degree, I get it. Maybe that person would. But don't, don't measure a vocation by just what you see. Ultimately, it is a matter it is a matter of the heart. And we need to be present to that overarching truth. Because as many saints remind us, they didn't have that Judas Iscariot aptitude. Rather, they just had a willing heart. And in the end, this is what the 12 apostles were about, right? They needed to be broken down, yes, but as they were broken down, they became great men and extraordinary ambassadors for Christ. Uh, what else could we say about these 12 tribes? Well, remember that all-important passage that comes to us from Matthew chapter 9, verse 28, when Jesus says to the 12, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man shall sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's something we have to remember is that as all of the prophetic literature of the Old Testament was calling for the reunification of the 12 tribes of Israel, in the 12 apostles, you have symbolically the 12 tribes being reunited. And of course, these 12 apostles become the 12 cornerstones from which he built the great church. And that church, of course, in its just not hierarchical structure, but also sacramental uh, witness, bears witness to the truth, beauty, and love of Jesus Christ. All right, what about these last few verses here? Verses 27 to 29. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirhath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his son Esau and Jacob buried him. So Jacob came to his father Isaac more than 20 years ago. Jacob left his home thinking his father would soon die, thinking to himself, well, I'll never, I'll never see him again. And here he is with his brother, no less, with his brother, no less, burying his father. So I could only imagine what this must have meant for just not Jacob and Esau, but Isaac. And we've talked about this a great deal already. What happened between Isaac and, and Jacob and Esau and the firstborn blessing to now see his sons together as he breathed his last. He was old and full of days. Remember, that is a, a phrase in the Hebrew that speaks to just not a life that has been lived for a very long time, but a life that has been lived for a long time very well. Right? So he, he breathed his last, and, and as he breathed his last, he could do so because his heart was at peace huh? as he saw his sons together. A profound healing, I'm sure. It would be so easy for us, I think, my friends, to just kind of distance ourselves from the emotional brokenness that was going on in this dysfunctional family <laughs> that we have been talking about this evening. But be rest assured, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, they are no more or less human than you and I, right? They, like us, had emotions. They, like us, had their hearts broken. So for Isaac to see his sons together, bearing him, you have heard me talk about Augustine and, and how he spoke to death being one of the great graces. Why? Because we are made to, to look at who we are in a way that we never have. Practically speaking, this is just what death does. Just not for us, but those around us. To have someone close to us die has us looking at life and death differently. And everyone who has lost someone knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. For Jacob and Esau to get wind that their father is dying... I'm certain they were looking at their own relationship differently. They came together to, to bury their father. And what that must have meant for their father, 
One can only speculate, but I'm telling you something, my friends. It meant something. And we should never overlook that point. What else here? Well, 180 years is a long time. (laughs) Our time is in God's hands. We may expect a long life. We may expect a short life. I don't know. But in the end, only God knows. And whether we live to be 45, 75, or 105, those years are determined by God. Yes, if we take care of our bodies and we do what we need to do, will we live longer? Certainly. But in the end, God is in control. And uh, I have to say, sometimes, sometimes, our life might be shorter because for one reason or another, in his infinite plan of salvation for all of us, maybe we are beamed up to heaven sooner than later. Or maybe for some later than sooner. But that is up to God. This is why, as we know, not the day nor the hour, we live today like it's our last. We live today like it's our last. Jacob, he would have never thought that he was going to see his father again. We get that sense reading through the book of Genesis. And yet there he was, 20 years after he last saw him. Maybe there is a situation in our own life where we have thought to ourselves, well, that's probably the last time I'm going to see that person. And then lo and behold, 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, you see that person. And I would venture to guess if God would have you see that person, it might have something to do with reconciliation. God desires reconciliation. At his very essence, at his very core, he is unity, right? So if we are going to know the beatific vision one day and share in the heavenly Jerusalem, rejoicing for all eternity before the presence of God and, and his throne room of grace, brothers and sisters, we have to forgive one another. He himself says it in the prayer he taught. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? We have to forgive one another. And I close on this point this evening because as chapter 35 closes, it closes with a message. A message of reunification. And I dare say, a message of healing. So maybe there's someone you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe it has been 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But it seems like just a day because the hurt is just so much. Ask yourself the question this night. Is it time for me to forgive? Is it time for me to move on? Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.